2: Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am.
0: Good morning. Welcome to 3CR, Tuesday Breakfast. We're joined in the studio with me, Steph, Evie and Carnegie. Hi. Sadly, we're missing Fung and Genevieve today, who are very wisely... Um, staying at home with their colds. (laughs) How is everyone? Not too
3: bad. Uh, Feeling pretty good. Um, I've already gotten my first cold of the season out of the way, so I'm sure I'm due for another one within a week. Yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Um, We've got a pretty packed show today. Um, Some great interviews coming up.
4: Uh, The first interview will be with Pride and
3: Protest, who have written an open letter to the Midsummer Board about not including the police this year. Very excited to hear that one. I'm going to be interviewing Celeste Little, who's an Arente woman who has stood up for nomination by the Greens to run in the seat of Cooper at the next federal election. We're very excited to talk to her later.
0: Very excited. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, people, yeah, a lot of energy around that, which is great to see. Um, we've also, I feel like there's a lot of news to talk about today. Yes. Um, but first, the weather. Um, so here in Nam partly cloudy, light winds, top of 17 and a low of 7, pretty like.
3: Yeah, not too bad. Yeah. I'm hoping it's clear for the weekend because I'm going to be at Midsummer at the Pride uh, march. Oh, yep. I um, think it's supposed to be nice weather this yes, weekend. Yes. So far it's clear. Yep. Um I was discussing my like our potential outfits mm. with a friend of mine. Um, yesterday, and we're just like sort of debating whether to like keep coats with us, or it just kind of defeats the purpose of being like you know in a summer pride yeah. march, but yeah. still, we're gonna do our best.
0: Yeah, it's not quite like seasonally appropriate. Mid- no. yeah, seasonally, yeah. <laughs>
3: yes, I, I, I'm still enjoying it, still being called midsummer, totally. but yes, I'm very much looking
0: forward to that. Awesome, we'll play a quick announcement and then we'll be back with the news headlines. Welcome back to Tuesday breakfast on 3CR. So we're gonna have a chat about the news headlines. There's a lot to discuss today. Um we'll kick off with the kind of ongoing Justice for Palestine conversation. Um on the weekend the Al Jazeera and Associated Press Office building um was hit by as part of an Israeli air raid. So people were given an hour's notice and this is also a residential building. Um yeah, it's interesting, I think, because Al Jazeera is one of the media organisations that's yeah. been so publicly um, holding the Israeli government to account. Yes, it's a very specific attack.
3: Yeah, um, There were claims by the IDF and Israeli forces that they had evidence uh, that there were Hamas militants in the building and, of course, are not revealing that particular kind of evidence. Um, At this point, there's like almost 200 dead, there's 2,000 wounded, 40,000 Palestinians displaced. So much of it has been seen on social media and shared very widely. It does seem that as well that finally uh, there is a tide turning when it comes to the portrayal of the plight of Palestinians in the media. Um, There's a very strong movement in Australia over the last week after we spoke to Janine Harani about the relative silence of Australian media um, um, on Palestine. Um, Since then, there has been an open letter signed by um, many journalists and many people working in the press. Um, We've also signed that letter as well, um, asking um, those who are at the helm of uh, Australian media to do better when it comes to coverage of Palestine. It's really um, amazing to see how far that reach has gone as well.
0: Yeah, it feels like we're turning the corner a bit in terms of how we talk about it, especially in the mainstream. Um, another headline is relating to the Indian um, travel ban, I guess, and which is something we've been talking about for a few weeks on the show. Um, that people have been denied boarding for the flight back to Australia for the repatriation flights um, and this is because they were testing positive to coronavirus but a number of people have since been tested by different a different company and received negative results um, and it turns out the company doing the screening tests had its Accreditation suspended in April. Oh, that's shocking. Yeah,
3: there's a there's actually a, a there's a um, piece by um, the South Asia correspondent for the ABC, James Oaten, on um, ABC News this morning, who is one of the people who um, was left behind due to an inaccurate mm. test. Um, it, it just I can understand just the shock and dismay of something that's already so of difficult and um, being left behind in a country and not being able to get back home. And now it's for very spurious reasons.
4: Mm. And I think I read about um, a man and his mum who were vaccinated and Mm. said there's no possible way for their um, results to be positive and demanded a retest and were denied and have since tested negative. Wow.
0: That's shocking. I'm sure there'll be more legal action coming. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Has anyone been following the high court stuff? I haven't. Um so not si- there hasn't
3: been any significant uh, legal action since um last week. Yeah. Um but uh I think the the ban technically gets lifted this week. Um but of course there there's still many other myriad ways in which um Australian citizens are still not being allowed to come yeah. back
0: home. Yeah. Um Another thing in the news that Parliament staff have been banned from speaking to the media as part of a new policy. This is federal um, federal staff. So a new media contact policy came into place in March, where staff um, are expected to refer any inquiries to a media relations team. Uh, the CPS deputy national secretary Beth. Vincent Pates, said the department should focus on improving workplace culture rather than focusing on silencing employees from speaking out, which I think summarises it quite well. Uh,
3: it was interesting to see Brittany Higgins specifically point out this new policy as well, considering yeah. she is at the heart of this recent discussion yep. of what goes on in Parliament House. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's a dreadful. Like, so many staffers have been involved in recent allegations that it doesn't it, it it does sort of sound like damage control uh, as opposed totally. to actually protecting their pla- you know, their safety in the workplace. Yep.
0: Um and another thing I saw was over the weekend the law that's passed to keep asylum seekers in indefinite detention. Um it's a good article on The Guardian by Ben Doherty, um which kind of outlines some of the statistics which I thought were worth sharing. Um In 2012, a person placed in immigration detention in Australia was held on average for less than 100 days. In 2021, that figures 627 days, so that's 20 months, um, the highest it's ever been. And in 2012, fewer than 3% of people held in immigration detention had been there longer than two years. And in January this year, that figure was 30%. um, And yeah, 106 people, so about 7% of the total detention population have been held in immigration for more than five years. Um, I thought those were pretty stark statistics. Yeah,
3: Um, it it also comes off the back of um, lots of previous cases um, where um, asylum seekers have been held in detention, especially um, if they were stateless. We've had a quite a uh, few high-profile cases um, in the early 2000s, um, where there was a particularly bad um, high court decision, uh, which was Alcatab um, versus Godwin, where uh, a man was kept, w- the high court decision was decided that he was to be kept indefinitely. Um, luckily, in that instance, he was eventually granted um, a protection visa in 2007, but he could have stayed there for any amount of time by the grace
0: of the government, which is a horrible precedent to set. Yeah, and it seems like this new law got through pretty quick. Yeah, a
3: bipartisan support, yeah. it um, should be pointed
0: out. Which is, you know, we talked the other week about Christina Keneally going to visit um, their family and, yeah, that yeah. doesn't quite line up.
3: <laughs> yes, um, she seems to have a very uh, hypocritical, one might say, um, view in visiting families in strife
0: yep. a- and then deciding to keep them indefinitely prison- imprisoned. Yep. Um, and there's some news around police and Pride in New York.
4: Sure is. Um, so the uh, New York has actually barred the police from marching in any Pride events um, until 2025, which is a pretty big move. So um, much. and I think, yeah, other places that want to follow in the same footsteps are using that as an example, which I think is a really great, um, example to set, especially, you know, coming out of New York.
3: Yeah. Um, I, I think it's particularly important, um, that's coming off the back of Idaho, but day, which was yesterday, um, May 17th is actually start, was, um, celebrated from, um, 2004, but it, was specifically chosen to commemorate um, the World Health Organization's decision in 1990 to declassify homosexuality as a mental disorder. So it is a really important day to celebrate. Sometimes feels a bit co-opted yeah. uh, by corporations and companies to look a bit, you know, sort of pinkwashing over. But it, it is still a very special holiday and I think it should be commemorated in remembering, um, you know, those that we've lost and, you know, the, the fact that um, people can feel more open about their sexuality um, or their gender affiliation as
0: well. Totally. Um, and IDAHOBIT stands for the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, Bi-phobia and Transphobia. Um, I checked that last night because I feel like it's one of those words, like <laughs> IDAHOBIT has just become yeah. the word you used, yep. um, so I wanted to get it right. Um, and related to that, yesterday, Transgender Victoria released a report into Victoria's trans history, um, which I would recommend people check out. So talks about the kind of structural and legal barriers that trans and gender diverse people have faced, um, covers a lot of reforms and has a lot of cool kind of insights and anecdotes as well. So I would definitely recommend people have a look at that. Um, speaking of... Um
3: Police at Pride, Um, um, Pride in Protests in Australia, we'll be talking to them a bit later, um, have released a letter for people to sign um, to keep cops out of Pride. Uh, It's very extensive and it's on their website. We'll also um, post a link
0: to it on our Twitter at some point this morning. Awesome. And those are the headlines for today. Stay tuned to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. This is a quick announcement.
5: There's kind of a lot of a lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well particularly in terms of the way that we imagine for example essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving um, and how those how those function if we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very very sort of different forms and very you know important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture
0: Good morning, you're tuned to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. We're going to jump to a song. This is Native Tongue by Moju. Moju is a NAM-based artist and the song's from her 2018 album of the same name Um, and it features the Pacifica Vittoria Choir.
7: (laughs) I was born under
8: a southern sun. I
7: don't
8: know where I belong. I don't know where I belong. My great granddaddy was Wiradjuri My father came here from the Philippines It's where I live It's where I wanna be Ooh, but you make me feel so ill at ease I don't speak my father's native tongue I was born under the southern sun I don't know where I belong I don't know where I belong It's easy enough for you to say It ain't no thing But I'm the one, you ain't the one Been living in the skin
2: If you wanna call me something
8: Call it to my face But I will not apologize for taking up this space Every time you cut me down I'm gonna come back, fierce. The time is through for being nice. Let's call it what it is.
0: that was moju with native tongue um we're going to jump to some audio from the rally for palestine that happened on saturday um this is a speech by janine hurani who we spoke to on the show last week so they played some of the audio on um 3cr and diaspora blues so we're just gonna listen to some of that
9: hi everyone um, I'd like to tell you my personal story, um, but before I begin, I would like to start by acknowledging the Boomerang, Wurrung, Boomerang, Wurrung, Wurundjeri and Woiwurrung people of the Eastern Kulin Nation and pay my respect to elders past and present. While we gather here to stand in solidarity with Palestine and Palestinians, it is important for us to acknowledge that the same system that vilifies, oppresses, and imprisons Palestinians also vilifies, oppresses, and imprisons First Nations people right here on this continent while we watch settler colonial violence unfold in Palestine never forget that we have seen over 500 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander deaths in custody since 1991 it is also important for us to acknowledge that while we as Palestinians were and continue to be victims of the colonization of our own land, here we are the benefactors of the colonization of this land. Our fight for the liberation of Palestine on this continent must first and foremost center Aboriginal sovereignty. And I would like to say to any First Nations people joining us today, your fight is our fight and our struggle is won. Uh, As I mentioned, my name is Janine and I was named after the city of Janine in the West Bank. I was named Janine as a sign of resistance and I was raised by my parents and grandparents to do that name justice. I was eight years old the first time I heard my name on the TV. At first, I was excited that my namesake was getting a mention on the news. And then I realised the reason it was being mentioned was because a massacre, now known as the Janine massacre, was happening. I already knew that Palestinian resistance ran through my blood, but in that moment, I realised how inseparable the Palestinian liberation movement is from our very identity. As Palestinians, our existence is, in and of itself, a sign of resistance. Even though I'm named after the city of Janine, I'm not from Janine, my grandmother is from a I'm sorry my grandmother is from a town called Tershiha, and my grandfather is from a village called Hetin both of which are in 48 Palestine now known as Israel My grandfather's village Hetin was completely erased in 1948 In 2018 I returned to Hetin and we had to find an old map of Palestine to try and figure out where the village was My dad sat in the front seat of the car, holding up the map in front of his face, and we spent most of the day driving around in circles before we finally found Hetin. By the time we got there, it was almost dark, and we only had a few precious moments to soak in our surrounds. And those very short moments were the most confronting moments of my life. It was so hard to believe a village used to be there, that there were homes and schools and lives that were lived there. It was as if we had never existed. Hațīn is not unique. There were over 400 Palestinian villages that were erased in 1948. And the threat of what is happening in Sheikh Jarrah right now is not unlike what happened to Hațīn. And while Hedin is not unique, nor is the Palestinian struggle. As much as we are lied to that what is happening in Palestine is complicated, there is nothing complicated about it. Israel maintains a regime of apartheid, ethnic cleansing and occupation. None of these concepts are new. They have all existed in some form throughout history. This nation is founded on settler colonialism. We are all familiar with apartheid South Africa. What is happening in Kashmir is occupation, and what is happening in East Turkestan is ethnic cleansing. Drawing parallels between our struggles doesn't only shed light on the commonality of different social justice issues, but it also shows us that as Palestinians, our freedom and liberation is so inherently intertwined with the freedom and liberation of so many others around the world. Now, more than ever, it is so important to stand in solidarity and fight for justice and truth. One way to do this is through the BDS movement, which people have mentioned in previous speeches. BDS is a Palestinian-led movement BDS is a Palestinian-led movement for freedom, justice and equality. It aims to pressure the state of Israel to meet its human rights obligations using the tools of boycott, divestment and sanctions, hence BDS. BDS Australia, BDS Australia is about to launch a campaign against Elbert Systems, which is an Israeli defense and security company that manufactures weapons and arms and field tests these weapons and arms on Palestinians. The Australian government has, in the past, had billion-dollar contracts with Elbert Systems and the Victorian state government currently has a six-million-dollar contract with them to establish a research centre right here in Melbourne. Elbert, along with most of our campaign targets at BDS Australia, do not only harm Palestinians. The governments of India and Colombia also have contracts with Elbert Systems, and both of these governments are currently perpetrating state-sanctioned violence against their own citizens. Please like and follow BDS Australia on social media to keep updated on our upcoming campaign. And finally, I would like to reassure you all that what we are doing is working. The Israeli Supreme Court postponed the forced evictions of Sheikh Jarrah citizens for 30 more days because of local and international outcry. We are seeing a rise in media coverage on Palestine and we are becoming harder and harder to ignore. Maintain the momentum and maintain the rage. We have a protest again, same time, same place next week. It's not over yet. Our struggle is ongoing. It does not start or end with Sheikh Jarrah. Our work is only done when the entire Zionist project has been abolished.
3: You were listening to Janine Harani speaking at this past weekend's Rally for Palestine. You can also participate in today's Global Day of Action with Palestine. We posted some instructions on our Twitter page. And you can tune into Palestine Remembered every Saturday on 3CR from 9.30am.
0: We're going to play a song now. Yes, so this is Sunshine by Spinifex Gum.
4: That was Sunshine by Spinifex Gum. And next, we're going to an interview with Pride and Protest. Um, Pride and Protest is a collective of activists who campaign for social justice and have two positions on the Sydney Mardi Gras board. They um, campaign to bring back the proud protest roots of Mardi Gras and fight collectively against systems and structures that maintain injustice. Um, Today, we're joined by Bridget from Pride and Protest. Welcome to the show, Bridget.
10: Hi, how are you this morning? Good, how are you? I'm good.
4: Um, So thank you for coming on the show. Um, We were just having a chat earlier about the open letter that Pride in Protest has written, calling on the Midsummer board to ban police and corrections officers from Pride and other Midsummer events. Um, We were hoping you could just tell us a little bit about how that came about.
10: Yeah, well, actually, um, when we launched the Mardi Gras open letter we had a lot of people on Twitter from Melbourne um, really coming through and saying that they would like a similar thing to happen. And so I actually moved to Melbourne uh, last year. And so I thought like I would reach out and, you know, make contact with those people and everybody was really keen and also there was sort of some organic work that's been going on for many years and people were kind of already creating their own open letter so really it's not pride in protest that has written this letter it's just local Melbourne um, LGBTQIA plus community members who've already been doing this work for many years and you know the push was kind of there and we just have the infrastructure to be able to get it out there and really cohere the spirit and yeah I guess the wants and the feelings of a lot of people who for a long time have really questioned why you know why the sheriff's department and the police get such a front row seat in the parade um at Melbourne Pride.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um can you tell us a bit about the sort of historic relationship with the police when it comes to Mardi Gras and other queer re- events?
10: Yeah. So, I think particularly for Mardi Gras, which was in Sydney, um it started as a protest where police arrived and arrested mass arrested people um, on the basis of being queer, and a lot of them were subject to really severe police brutality. So I think from that perspective alone, we can recognize that the police have never really been a friend to the queer community in terms of that history. Um, However, obviously, there's still a really modern day pertinence to questioning the role of police. And, you know, that goes back to, like, the police brutality experienced by Jamie jackson Reed and Bryn Hutchinson in the 2013 Mardi Gras parade that was actually caught on film hmm. uh, in some cases, um, where, you know, young queer people were brutalised by police for no other reason than being at Mardi Gras.
3: Yeah, that's and one of the things, Like it, it, like, it really gets me that this is recent history.
10: Exactly. It's really, and I mean the deaths in custody campaign that's being led by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander activists in Australia just goes to show that this is also an issue that directly relates to racism and it is rooted in colonialism and the police fundamentally, you know, have this completely violent, um, you know, role in oppressing black people in this country. And I don't think that as you know, queer community members, we can stand and say, oh, black issues are different to queer issues. They're very much intertwined. There are black indigenous people. There are queer people that, you know, have really strong ties to mobs. So why why should we be trying to, you know, let Black Lives Matter be a separate issue? Like, it's very much a part of our community as well. And it's on us to stand with those families. Um, even in just 2021, there's been seven deaths already yeah. i mean it's it's a crisis it is a health epidemic like we talk about you know the pandemic of covid and you know last year the black lives matter rallies showed that there is a crisis that is just as bad as covid where people are being murdered by the state it's state sanctioned violence and yeah i think that resonance with Black Lives Matter and with standing up against racism is a core, core element to the open letter and and to the calls of police to leave the parade.
4: Well, exactly. And I think that's something that really stood out to me in this letter that um, it was very intrinsically intersectional. It wasn't, uh, you know, it, it came from a place of complete understanding that one group's oppression is completely linked to another's. They're not separate. Um, I think that is a hugely important part of this letter.
10: Yeah, and I think Pride in Protest is made up of um, Indigenous members, people of colour, of trans people, of sex workers, and that's reflective in the signatories and it's reflective in the content of the letter um, because it's been written by the community. So, yeah, it's really about seeing the links of all of those things and the way that, you know, particularly colonialism and, and capitalism... Like the corporatization of Melbourne Pride, I mean Melbourne Pride obviously has different history to mardi gras it It was actually created bureaucratically it wasn 't an organic protest or anything, yeah. um, and so therefore the police presence has always been there from day one um, as marchers you know as as people that are like kind of part of this parade and then you know the corporatization there 's NAB is a sponsor. Yeah. Um, you've got AGL, which are like huge polluters, yeah. <laughs> who are marching. Um, there's just so many. I mean, there's a security company that polices Invasion Day, um, that is a sponsor of Midsummer at the moment, called AML Risk Management, and and they like are part of the policing of Invasion Day and proudly post online about how they you know keep protesters safe. But I mean. Are they keeping us safe or are they just, you know, silencing Indigenous people?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think, like, even though um, Melbourne Pride doesn't have the same origins, I think it would be really amazing if we did make it a radical event. Um, Just, like, you know, just completely turn it around from what it has become or what people perceive it to be as. And taking cops out of Pride is such a big sort of step in acknowledging the solidarity we all have together.
10: Definitely. And there's so many March participants, uh, Midsummer artists, performers, um, you know, writers, thinkers, everybody who's involved in creating Midsummer Festival who actually make it what it is. So many of those people have signed the letter. So I think that's a really good indicator that, you know, the people who make this March and this parade and who make this festival exist don't want police there so why do the board consistently you know not engage with this issue i
4: guess yeah and the solidarity with other movements like black lives matter as well which have been very vocal about not having police involved is um is also i think really important um yeah and given i think that also given the historical sort of power imbalance between the police and these groups it's you know Difficult to understand how that can ever really be bridged. Um, an institution can then an institution like the police ever really support something like pride?
10: Yeah, this is the question that we fundamentally come back to um, around abolition of police and prisons. Mm. You know, defund the police is one of the top demands of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, you know, we talk about the use of violence, the unfettered use of violence, and the way that police have zero accountability. There's never any convictions. You know, I've sat in the courtrooms and watched them lie on the stand over and over again. The way that magistrates let them get away with saying, I don't recall, I don't recall. You can see it in the coronial inquests of deaths in custody over and over again, the way that they lie to protect themselves and to protect, you know, their own institution there there is it's to the core a racist institution and they do have the use of violence against the community that legally nobody else has so in what way can we say oh a person who can literally murder you and get away with it oh but like there's some way that that can now be okay if you just put on some glitter and a rainbow flag and march with us. like Exactly. That's insanity. It's yeah. just it's completely ridiculous. And, yeah. you know, we're definitely an abolitionist org. Like, we are pushing to remove pride, uh, you know, pushing to have police removed from pride symbolically. But I think right at the core of what we're trying to say is that you can't be part of an institution that consistently results in the deaths of Aboriginal people and then turn around and say, oh, but we support the queer community. It's
4: mm. just
3: not going to fly.
4: Yeah, you can't just paint your police car rainbow and show up. <laughs>
3: <laughs> a part yeah. of it is a trust thing as well. Like there have been so many, even like, you know, we were talking about recent history, there have been so many incidents in the last year or two um, in which, you know, LGBTQI people have had no reason to trust the police or have very, very low trust. Uh, like I was thinking particularly of Danny Ladley. Um, recently who had her pictures spread by the police Mm. and leaked by the police um, um, you know while she was being arrested Um, no sense of privacy or um, dignity um, even in like you know or even considering a fair due process um, what reason like would LGBTQI people have to trust the police to even allow them into a space where they can be themselves
10: yeah and you know, bringing it back to intersectionality, this is this is the core of, like, you know, why the police are not trustworthy, is it's not just trans women. It's women who are trying to get justice when they experience sexual assault. It's First Nations people who are literally just existing in the street or on public transport who get harassed and policed and over-incarcerated. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so many different community members who fundamentally aren't safe when it comes to engaging and interacting with police. And the queer community is just one of those groups. Um, People with mental health issues and and with people with disability are so overly, um, you know, affected by police brutality because Mm. when you try to call triple zero to get someone help, who do they send? (laughs) They send police with guns and with tasers who are there to forcibly section that person and put them in, you know, a hospital that's very reflective of prison and not actually help that person. You know, any person who has had any experience with mental health issues would know that the last thing you want when you are looking for help, when you're in crisis, is to be put in handcuffs and put in a police car Absolutely. and forcibly taken somewhere else.
4: And they're it's, still first respondents. Shocking. Yeah, it is shocking that they're the first ones on the scene. It's It's, it's yeah. like everything else... Um, takes kind of a backseat once they're on on the scene. It's like, yeah, mm. it's, yeah.
3: It's actually yeah. like, I'm glad that you mentioned as well that um, you're an explicitly abolitionist organisation because I think that's also something that maybe, you know, hopefully encourages people to consider what a life would be like without the police.
10: Yeah, and I think, you know, thanks to the Black Lives Matter movement, we are getting more and more into, like, looking beyond those sort of solutions Mm -hmm. and just saying, ah, yes, police people, incarcerate them, lock them away, um, you know, physically restrain them and assault people. You know, that is not justice. It's not justice for someone who's been harmed, and it's also not justice for a person who's enacted harm who actually probably does need rehabilitation and support. And everybody knows that, Prisons do not rehabilitate people. They hide people. And they hide them away. And they have no contact and they're cut off from their friends and their family and their support networks. And then we're supposed to expect them to leave a place like that better off. they come out more re-traumatized and they come out, you know, not having had the help that they deserve. Um, So, yeah, I guess, like, abolition really gives us this path forward to say, what if mental health social workers are the people that go out you know, when people need mental health support and it's not police? What if, you know, domestic violence, you know, intervention specialist workers were the people who went out? Um, And that's not to say that social work or the mental health system isn't also ridden by issues around racism and sexism and all of that. You know, it all requires work, but it's definitely a better alternative than a person with a gun
4: yeah and i mean the most important thing is it gives people the kind of space to reimagine what society could look like i think at the moment we're very caught up in what it currently is and people find it a bit difficult to imagine anything outside of what we know um so i think that this can maybe give people that space
10: yeah um if people are interested in reading about futures um around you know, abolition and, yeah, I guess getting rid of police and prisons. Um, Angela Davis obviously has seminal texts around um, police abolition. And there's even a lot of local um, content coming out of our abolitionist organisation based in Brisbane called Sisters Inside. Um, So there's, there's definitely readings that can help people get to that point of saying, you know, I can really imagine a different way of being and a different way and not a punitive way mm. of dealing with um, interpersonal harm because we've all been harmed you know people all have the capacity to harm each other and i think you know immediately people you know response to we need to abolish police and prisons is what about the murderers <laughs> what about the serial killers you know what do we do with those people? And, um, you know, if you look at the statistics of who is in prison, that's about 3 to 5% yeah. of the prison
3: yeah. population. I, I just want to, like, you
10: know.
3: quickly mm. hijack to say, um, you mentioned Sisters Inside as well. Just a quick shout-out to them. Um, Debbie Kilroy is a fantastic woman and just the work required to consider forgotten women in jail and fundraising money um, mm. uh, for their bail Um, Again, just like the fact that um, a movement to get cops out of Pride, it it is still an ally movement to, um, you know, considering policing and um, people in prison as well.
10: Absolutely, um, And, you know, back, you know, before COVID, I actually attended the Imagining Abolition Conference run by Sisters Inside um, in 2018. And I can thoroughly recommend it to any person who wants to be inspired, educated um, on the topics of abolition. Um, there was art surrounding us. You know, we truly do need art and artists to create this imagination with us along with policy along with academics you know it's it's such a fundamental part of humanity um to be able to imagine that future and so i think um it's really evident in our signatories as well that so many of these people are artists and performers who are trying to celebrate queer culture and and bring some semblance of joy to the life that we have and You know, joy and art are a huge part of activism and a huge part of social change. So I would really encourage people to go to to midsummer events and watch these performers and like have conversations at midsummer events about, you know, how we don't need police there.
4: Absolutely. Um, We might wrap it up there, Bridget. Um, But just before we finish up, where can our listeners go to find out more about Brighton and Protest and to sign the open letter?
10: Yeah, so um, we have an Instagram account at pride.in.protest, a Facebook, Pride in Protest um, on Facebook, and also Twitter. Uh, We have a Medium account where you can sign the open letter, um, and that's going to be sent to the Midsummer Board before the parade on Sunday. Um, And we also actually have a podcast, so if you're a digital radio person um, and you'd love to listen to our members chat with different people about lots of different social justice topics. You can find us wherever you stream your podcasts, Pride in Protest, the podcast.
4: <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bridget.
10: All right. Have a good morning. Bye. You too. Bye.
3: You can also check out Beyond the Bars, which is now in its 20th year on 3CR. Uh, that's at 3cr.org.au slash beyondthebars. That airs on 3CR in July during NADOC week, if you want to learn more about uh, prison and prison abolition.
0: Cool. And I just wanted to give um, a content warning. Obviously, there was some heavy stuff in that chat. So you can contact QLife on one 184 527 And they also have web chat.
9: Well, brothers and sisters, what a show of strength we've got here today.
0: We're gonna to jump to a track. Uh this is A Quality of Mercy by R V G. They're a non based band and this came out in twenty seventeen.
12: What? It's pretty unfair They're gonna give me the electric chair I thought that someone would have changed their mind But it seems like I've got about an hour's time to be Staring at the ceiling Feeling numb I'm thinking about the readers at the Herald Sun Who say that I am evil And they say hurry up, get on with it Get what you get, what you get, what you get. Beth Miller from Baldwin brides. This execution doesn't make. Chinese. What a torture, she says. Everybody is so PC. If drugs make you suffer, But so should we. Well, if I have but one request, out of have a to pull a switch. She should get what she gets, what she gets, what she wants to get.
0: That was RVG with Equality of Mercy. Next up, we're going to play an interview from Out of the Pan, which broadcasts on 3CR on Sundays at midday. Uh, We're going to hear from Sally Goldner, the host with part of her celebration as part of Ida Hobbit Day. Sally starts with the question, where did we lose our way and asks how we can get back on track with a human-centred response to transphobia. Well, we're needing some innovative leadership. This has been something on my mind For some time
11: over the last few months with events, I'll just say for now, in my own life, but also, of course, what's been going on in our federal, sorry, federal parliament, um, with, um, you know, the the issues in the news surrounding, I'm not going to comment on these, um, you know, in any great detail, so no real content warning, um, you know, in regarding sexual harassment, that sort of thing. And it's got me thinking, and the coffee's helped do that as well, um, because it's Melbourne, you know, it's about leadership and ethics and humanity. And it's something that's been on my mind. We sometimes look at things issue by issue. Let's go beyond the rainbow communities for a second. Aged care issues. How on earth did we become so callous and so inhuman that we set up an aged care system that put people on drugs, didn't give them enough food or any quality food, didn't give them the time and attention they needed, didn't give people the dignity and respect they wanted and needed at the rest of their life, uh, regardless, first of all, as a person, and then in various aspects of diversity that interest this show, um, you know, give them the, you know, the, um, you know the, um, the respect as the unique individuals they are. Whether that's something to do with gender, sexuality, um, Aboriginal background, um, multicultural background, many, many others. So you know, then there, you know, a few years ago, it seems like ages ago now, two or three years ago, there was the. Banking Royal Commission, and what a schmozzle came out of that, um, and, you know, how could people just, you know, continue to charge dead people? Why was that happening, you know, for, as one example thereof, um, commissions for people really doing nothing? Where did we lose our way? Well, I mean, we could ask that, and I think it's of some relevance, um, and why and how, and maybe they're useful questions, and I mean, I honestly thought, maybe childhood Pollyanna, but I thought we were a sort of you know, not obviously a long way to go, but we started to get on the right direction throughout the 70s, bit of progressive attitude, um, something, you know, a bit of a burst of increase um, in respect for women, for example, on gender and other things. And, you know, lots of people began to see that. And we did have some reasonable degree of a pr- approach in our politics. I didn't obviously agree with every politician of every party. I'm thinking of this in light of the recent passing of Andrew Peacock, the, probably the last federal Liberal leader who I could respect and easily agree to disagree with, even if I didn't agree with some of his ideas. Um, you know, look, at um, things have gone largely downhill since then. Um, don't even mention what we have now. It was interesting, just before I come on air, I saw something on Twitter that someone is going to write to the Australian Electoral Commission and um, see if they can get the Liberal Party deregistered from being misleading because it claims it's a Liberal Party when it's really a big C you know, rich, white, male, conservative party, or words to that effect. That is their opinion. Um, but where did we lose our way? How on earth can we have media? And here's something that happened to me once about in the last three three years or so, give or take. I was contacted by the producer of a commercial radio program to talk about trans issues. And the producer said quite, you know, um, I'll use they as a de-identified pronoun, quite frankly of their own um you know, free will and all that sort of thing. Presenter X knows your issues but only wants to talk about bathrooms. So they admit candidly they're doing blatant bias to a guest. I actually refused to go on the show even when I got written questions and unfortunately they very quickly before I could alert other trans people got onto someone else and threw them in the boat. But you've got to live by your conscience. And there's a word that seems to have gone sort of down the tubes a bit in the last um thirty or forty years or at least twenty five in the Australian context. the word conscience what happened to it you know it doesn't it matter anymore and so I've been thinking about this a lot, and of course you know the my, pre- president number forty five is one of our um usual listeners um you know sort of um um you used to refer to that person um you know sort of fake what is it um fake news and um, what was it, Um, you know, sort of um, all those sorts of things, um, those sorts of cliches. I don't even want to remember them. Maybe it's good that my mind's blanked it out. And, you know, so we could ask where did we go wrong, and I think that's a useful academic exercise. I have nothing against that. And we could ask why it changed and how it changed. Was it pushback, people feeling afraid they were going to lose their own power, for example. Um, That could be something. But also, I think it's time we asked how we get it back on track. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, is that we? I've been thinking about this, as I say, in context of events of my own life and things in the world around me. But so much of our ideas on everything, but in particular, including leadership, come from, in inverted commas, male-slash-masculine perspectives. Now, this is not not all men. You know, it's seriously... um, you know, male and masculine are not bad things in themselves. It's like anything when it is misused, when it is um, when power is misused, then we have a problem. And so I've been thinking about where are the female, feminine type of leadership stuff. And I suppose what tweaked me, and this is honestly, you know, has only tweaked to me as I was thinking about the program just um, while listening to Out of the Blue earlier. Um, uh, overnight, I, I get, um, it usually lands in my inbox, uh, Australian time, Saturday overnight, I get um, The Week in Feminism from Awa Madawi, who's um, a writer for The Guardian based in the UK. She's got a book coming, Strong Female Lead. Well, I can honestly say this has been on my mind before I saw this. I'm also um, trying to find the time to read um, the great book um, on women in leadership, which is, um, you know, sort of um, has um, been published last year. And um, that is by former. Um, co-authored by um, former Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard, along with um, Ngozi okonjo um Women and Leadership, and you know the thing is these are needed texts because we talk about what women have to go through in leadership, and it'll be. I'd also be interested to hear about um, what people whose sense of identity is beyond male or female talk about in terms of leadership um, as well. Um, Um, You know, sort of, um, 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 anyway, um, you know, and I'm thinking where are the, in inverted commas, female slash feminine and, you know, I'll say non-binary ideas or beyond male or female leadership ideas in inverted commas. And we need this because our world's not going in the right, being run in the right way. You can argue about what is being done and there's certainly a lot to say that that's not right, but it's how it's done. One of my favourite quotes comes from Eleanor Roosevelt, um, and um, that comment um, is um, one about how we, um, you know, sort of need to act every day. And and I quote, I've been to sound like Michael Cole from his heel turn on um, when he was the um, mouthpiece for the anonymous Raw General Manager. There's the relevant wrestling reference. Uh, Quote, where do... Um, after all, do human rights begin? In small places, close to home, so close and so small, they cannot be seen on any maps of the world. Yet they are on the world of the individual person, the neighbourhood they live in, the school or college they attend, the factory, the farm or the office where they work. Pro- um, pronouns change to move to 2021. And I think it's a good point. We often get so focused on goals in leadership and ticking things off and getting things done and getting our to-do lists done and, you know, achieving our strategic aims that we forget about, um, um, you know, sort of about how we get there. And, you know, a journey and a goal go together. You can't get to a goal without a journey and the people you affect along the way. And in queer communities, to bring the helicopter down to the queer level a bit, so to speak, having given the helicopter view, how often do we see leaders and organizations mouth off words like respect equality intersectionality diversity you know but on the day-to-day basis they're rude they're abusive they shut down people who don't they don't want to hear from etc etc so welcome all your thoughts and some have been coming in as I have been speaking um over the last 5 minutes um hoffler's come in and said as my mum said we've become nastier and greedier in, le- in leadership well it certainly is the dominant force, not overall. That's why I suppose I'm here and I haven't had secret police come in already and drag me off. Um so there's still some hope that I'm trying to talk and some of us are resisting that. Um you know, so I think that yes we have and you know, when we started going through the eighties with you know, I know it's a movie, greed is good, and it's like, you know, it's sort of and then the nineties where um to quote a Don Henley song of that era, um, The Garden of Allah Uh, nothing to do with religion or Islam, Islam for that matter, Um, you know, know, where it's not so fuzzy anymore. It used to be good, was good, and evil was evil, and then it sort of went the other way, and, you know, things became very muddy and murky, and, you know, now, you know, sort of people like me, you know, are almost criticised for trying to be nice, (laughs) or behaviours like mine that I'm trying to talk about, um, certainly, the media, especially Murdoch, has played a significant role in the decline of our democracy well, um I think that is a part, and the thing is i don 't obviously I never wish death on anyone, no matter how they might behave, but even if Rupert Murdoch does leave this mortal coil, which eventually he will has the influence he created it 's not going to be uprooted overnight um or how can we you know perhaps uproot it a bit? Um, and, yeah, bring in the next generation immediately. Well, you know, we do certainly do need that, and I'm seeing this a lot. Um, I mentioned on the show last week I had the joy, and I will say the joy of um, being on a panel talking about health um, with 70 um, Year to 10 to 12s, and it was organised by UN Youth. So there are people there. So, you know, tired old farts like me, no, only kidding, can sort of, um, you know... Um, perhaps chill back a bit or do something else.
0: You know, so there is hope. That was Sally Goldner from Out of the Pan talking as part of her Idaho Hobbit Day coverage. Next up, we're going to hear a track.
4: Uh, This track is by New Zealand rapper and professional netballer Jess B. Um, This is one of my favourite songs of hers. It has a real summer vibe.
6: Take it down and bring it back one time. I take it down and bring it back one time for you. I take it down and bring it back one time. I take it down and bring it back one time for you. Yeah. Summertime flow, got that summertime glow. Brown skin, yeah, for the summertime show. You know I keep it cold like some summertime snow. And you know I take it low and bring it back once more. Hey, I be grinding for a While now. While now. I've been working, yeah, and I smile now. smile now. Cause people feeling me and my style now. now, now. And I never change, now we wild out. Right now. I still got all my day ones with me, yeah, they with me. I still stay 100, no, I'm never 50-50. Still keep it G, I keep it pretty, keep it soft, I keep it pretty. We've been pouring and I'm feeling kinda tipsy, Ayy Pour it up, pour it up, pour it up. Good vibes here if you would it, roll up, Ayy What it up, what it
1: up, what it up? Just be Ruby Doo, yeah, we bout to hook it up, hey Me and my girls wanna have a good time in the sunshine, just a slow. Oh, I bubble bubble I want no trouble, foot to the rubble, couple up for the double, just a vibing. We when I feel no way, we have time in so we can't be late, what a nice thing for your good sister, in. me and my friend, them all tight to the end in the sunshine in the summertime, just a fun time in the summertime and a full time in the summertime and a good time in the summertime like, pack it up, pack it up, pack it up. Back it up, forward, 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 and a slow wine, slow wine, slow wine, slow wine.
6: Yeah, we keep it poppin', yeah, we keep it droppin'. We can't stop, won't stop, now that ain't an option. We in your city, in your city, and we go off. You get the hype where we at, and that's at no cost. All the hating girls, dim, lookin' so washed. We go how we go how we never go soft. Anytime a good time, like my wristwatch. Booty work, got their eyes going crisscross. Who you here with? Who you here with? Work it out, bring it back, make that wrist shift. Up and down, sight to sight, like a gas shift. This the kind of sh** you don't want to interfere with. Make it jiggle just a little. He be all up in my griddle Trying to get into the middle But I ain't trying to listen I ain't trying to keep it civil I be trying to puk Yeah, i tell the DJ Get a signal, Wait. Hey. Fuck it up talk, it
1: up Fuck it up it up Firework it back one time for you vibing when i feel no way we have time in so we can't be late what a nice thing for your good sister in. me and my friend them all tight to the end in the sunshine in this, summer time just oh. a fun time in this, summer time and now food time in this, summer time and now good time in this, summer time <laughs> like pack it up back it up back it up back it up
4: That was taken down by Jess B.
3: Joining us now is uh, Celeste Little, who is an Arente woman living and working on unceded Wurundjeri lands. She's a trade unionist, a freelance opinion writer and a social commentator, and as of this past week, she's also the nominated Victorian Greens candidate to run in the seat of Cooper in the next federal election. She's coming up against Labor's Jed Kearney, and this has caused a fair bit of controversy online, and we're very excited to have her on the line today. Thank you so much for chatting to us, Celeste. Thanks for having me on. How are you? <laughs> Good, thanks. Um, well, you've lived in the seat of Cooper for over twenty years now, and you've been an activist and unionist for even longer than that. So, what's what is it that it's inspired you to run
2: now?
13: It, it's been many things, um, and to to really break it down is, is hard. But um, yeah, I have lived in the seat for an incredibly long time. Like that's that's. Um, it equates uh, half my life, um, essentially. And first moved here as a uni student, um, but you know, obviously, well, I've been a uni student a couple of times since, but to have seen this seat over the years and know if there a fair bit of history about this seat. Um, it, it did change its name from Batman, which is named after. Um, after Batman, the you know the one who's who's credited with founding Melbourne and all of that, but also led massive massacres over in Tasmania. Yes. Um, yeah. To to a name like William Cooper, um, an amazing, incredible Yorta Yorta activist who is who's known internationally um, as leading a private citizens' protest against um, the atrocities committed at Crystal Nuts against the Jewish people in Germany. Um, so, so there's a little bit of that inspiration, but I think that, you know, um, 2020 saw a lot of, um, particularly at the state level, but, um, yes, yeah, saw a lot of the labour policies as well, really frame things like policing and um, the, the increasing of prisons to grow jobs. Um, for people in the community who've lost them during COVID, as answers, and then, you know, over the past couple of weeks, Stephen, we we have seen um, we're, we've seen Labor, Labor support the indefinite detention of asylum seekers. Um, there's there's a continual reliance on on coal and fossil fuels, rather than looking, you know, more more and more towards renewables. Um, yeah, and I, I guess as a long-term resident of this seat and knowing a lot of this community and living in it for such for, for so many years, um, it it really sort of um, struck me is is Labor the representation for this seat that we really need that represents the values of it because. Of the entire time that the seat's been in it's only which is one hundred and fifteen years it's only been occupied by another party or another individual for ten of those so so I think the values of this electorate aren't being represented, and there's a real opportunity through the cost bench to represent them
3: yes, um you know you bring something new and fresh um. To like, especially as someone who has lived in the seat for so long, you've seen the community grow and change over time. Um, also, something that um, Lydia Thorpe's opening speech to Parliament reminded me of. She made reference to the fact. Um, that when she was growing up, that an Indigenous woman could be in Parliament, it was considered laughable. Uh, I think she her exact words that she she felt that she wasn't meant to be in positions of influence. And I know that um, seeing um, the kind of response that you've received to your nomination in the last um, the last few days, uh, you've observed that some people who say that Indigenous women should run for Parliament in the past, um, you know, on various panels and what have you, uh, they're now changing their tune to try to justify why your candidacy. Is somehow wrong or inappropriate, and, and this feels like it might be a theme for the upcoming race ahead.
13: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and look, I've got to acknowledge Lydia too, because if it wasn't for people like her, you know, going into Parliament, and I, I think that um, her maiden speech that she did um, when she got in as a as a um, as the member for Northcote was incredible it was just the first time someone like me had ever seen a sovereignty activist speech delivered on the floor of parliament yeah and and watching that play out and unfold and and knowing that someone could be in there saying those sorts of things and having an impact on on legislation um i've got to be honest i've never ever in my life had political ambitions um i <laughs> you know i've I've always seen it as a bit of a, waste, a wasted cause, and and you know, influenced from outside um, through lobbying, protesting, you know, even my opinion writing career has been the more effective way to actually cause change. Um, but but yeah, last year last year showed me that you know. We do need more people on the floor um, influencing where the decisions are made because the decisions have been deeply, deeply um, problematic, for one of the better terms. But I, yeah, I, it, it's sort of seeing people like Lydia and myself. You know, I, I have been told over and over again. I guess that um, I've thrown a bit of a spanner in the work, for one of the better terms. <laughs> Again. It's a good spanner. <laughs> but, but to be told over and over again on Twitter, and it went on for three days, that that um, I somehow had no right to run in the seat that I've lived in for the majority of the past twenty-four years. Yeah,
3: um, it's like a non-acknowledgement of the fact that we live in a democracy and everyone has a right to run for parliament. Like the, I think the main argument I saw is that. Um, Jed Kearney is also a woman and a unionist and she does, like, you know, is a really great representative for a seat. It's like, great, you know, if she's doing so well for a seat, she should, you know, feel comfortable running against you and being elected unopposed. But obviously there seems to be a bit of uh, discontent in the community and realising that maybe they could have better. Yeah,
13: yeah, and I haven't at a single point denied that Jed Kearney is any of those things, because she is, she is a, you know, she's, she is an incredible wreck. She's, she's an incredible unionist. Um, As someone who's worked within the movement for years, I know that, but I also know that it's called the House of Representatives and we've got a democratic system. And, you know, the idea of the House of Representatives is to have representatives from each, um, each of these different communities across the country. So that, my, my issue has been with Labor and their
10: policies and the
13: fact that um, they have backed up the government on some incredible atrocities um, and, and giving people a, giving people an option, um, which should be good in a healthy democracy. Instead, instead you know, um, as I pointed out, I have been asked, how do we get more people onto the floor of Parliament or get more Aboriginal women to run? And... Yet the minute that i did <laughs> i'm told I'm told I'm doing something wrong and talk to like um like i well like a naughty little black girl over and <laughs> over again all weekend, so yeah, yeah, I guess it's kind of um i, I think that people need to stop and just look at what they're what they're asking and whether their politics is performative or it's, or it's actually actually for real.
3: Yeah. Uh, I think there's like a fair sense of respectability politics involved in that
0: as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Um, Derebin is seen as this very progressive seat, but we've got, well, Cooper, um, but there's been people locked up in the Mantra Hotel, you know, for all these uh-huh. years. And it's kind of, exactly. what, what does it mean to be progressive? Um, Yeah.
13: You know, and locked up across the you know, just down the road from and across the road from a bunch of Aboriginal organisations, but Yeah, it's within it's eyeline view. Really, it's, it's this juxtaposition and I know that um I know that the people in this state do hold those progressive views. So how do they feel about people being locked up you know, for years on end, Medivac refugees? locked up for years on end, um within their electorate and and you know, and what they think the government should be doing about that. It's just yeah. I can't even Sorry, I get <laughs> bad every time I think about the the mantra situation, and how that was used.
3: Yeah. I, look I also live in the seat of Cooper and just I like the dissatisfaction I've had with um you know, the ability to deal with the situation that we had such an awful atrocity committed in our own community within, you know, within walking distance of people's homes to see, you know, people indefinitely imprisoned um, and just not knowing what else we can do other than protest and, you know, constant appeals to, um, you know, our local representative. It's not enough to just go and visit um, the men imprisoned you have to actually do something about it and I yeah. never really felt that that was happening.
13: Yeah, yeah, precisely, precisely. And, you know, the 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 choice, uh, sorry, the governmental choice was to just move them into another hotel eventually. Um, you know, some of them have finally been released but there's still people imprisoned and that's what it is. It doesn't matter that it's a hotel. it's it's
3: an imprisonment it's imprisonment um so this is this leads into my next uh question which is um we've spoken a lot about how you know you feel very comfortable speaking your mind and like especially talking to the response that you've received Uh, i've always been really excited by your willingness to speak openly about the things that concern you without fear which i think is a thing that a lot of politicians are not accustomed to doing so you've been you've actively organised. You've spoken about the troubles with intersectionality in Australian activism. You've put yourself on the line in ways that few potential politicians would. Um, Do you hope that your candidacy might help others to gain that courage to take the plunge?
13: I I really do. Like, like I said, I mean, my own, my own taking the plunge wouldn't have been or wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for seeing seeing people like Lydia and that ability to speak truth to power just cutting through. And it it is a really funny position to be in because, as you say, I've actually been doing that for a really long time, you know, whether it's through article writing or speaking at various events or protests or whatever else. I have been speaking truth to power for or it's on twitter <laughs> yeah. I have been speaking truth to power for a long time or at least you know challenging challenging views trying to trying to create influence in different ways um so so my hope is that there are other people out there who who see this going on and see people not you know see people actually state, no, you don't have a right to tell me where I can and can't run or or to back down or to, to do stuff in more polite ways or whatever else. Um, I have a right to be listened to and I have a right to be listened to in this forum that makes so many decisions that impact the lives of so many you know, people across this country. Um, I'm really hoping that it does. It'll be so... It's so amazing to see, um, you know, to definitely see a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in there actually having active debates and discussions so that, so that non-Indigenous people who have had the run of the force for so long are forced to listen to those debates and discussions because I do think they think that we all think the same. Um, and that's never been the case. We are a deeply politicised group of people who have, who are born into it. But I also hope that in some way um, it does appeal to other people who are from minority communities to do similar um, because there are so many of us who aren't being heard within, within one of the key decision-making bodies in this country, and that's a problem.
3: Yeah, I think there's a twin issue in which people um, decide not to partake, partake in the process, which is they feel that they can't put themselves forward because they don't see anyone else um, like them in the political process. And also th- there is the very real fear that they will be attacked or otherwise, you know, um, held responsible for views that they are perfectly within their rights of having.
13: Mm, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, and and you know it's not it's not an unreasonable fear. But I guess too, um, seeing seeing other people who are in similar situations um, and how they respond to it and stay defiant, that in itself is is something to witness and be inspired by. I think. I mean, it definitely inspired me.
3: Uh, just one final thing. Um, you did mention before as well that. Um that you're like in running in the seat of Cooper, which was renamed in 2018. It was renamed after um, Yorta Yorta activist William Cooper. Uh, I'm sure this adds extra poignancy to your candidacy, especially since there's quite a high proportion of um, Indigenous Australians in uh, the Cooper electorate as well. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Actually,
13: there was. Sorry, I'm speaking a little bit on what happened on Twitter, but there was someone that tried to go me because I've got anti uh, um, <laughs> in, in my in my profile information, and I'm just sort of, well, William Cooper took a very very <laughs> big anti-fascist action when he did that, and it's recognised worldwide. This is an Aboriginal man who's recognised as taking a stand against fascism. <laughs> Um, it's that, that's incredible. That's incredible. Um, but also, you know, being one of the, one of the key um, figures was in the 1938 Day of Mourning and, and the fact that that protest continues to this day. Um, the Invasion Day marches just keep on getting bigger and bigger. It's an amazing sort of legacy that would be an absolute honour to represent on the floor of Parliament and should be represented on the floor of Parliament. So so I, I I can't speak about that in any other way except for he has been his his story and learning more and more about Cooper because I certainly wasn't taught about him in school, um, has been a massive inspiration to me. And the idea that um the idea that I could end up rep, you know, representing in a seat named after him It's just extraordinary to me. What an honour.
3: It really is. Um, Celeste, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, It's honestly been so fantastic to talk to you and we're very lucky to have you on. Um, For anyone else who would love to uh, follow Celeste's journey to federal parliament, you can follow her on Twitter at Utopiana. Um, We'll also um, retweet some of her upcoming campaign work as well. Thank you so much, Celeste.
13: Thanks so much for having me. Tuesday
8: Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Koko for their support of the programme Living Koko puts community first by respecting food sovereignty Based in Braybrook, they create bean-to-bar chocolates cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao and cacao mass in bulk a zero waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram.
2: Get ready to add your support during our annual radiothon and be part of community powered radio. 3CR Radiothon fundraiser, June 2021.
9: To donate, call 03 9419 8377 or
5: donate online at 3CR.org.au. 3CR Radiothon, community powered radio.
0: Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Just before
3: we wrap up today, um, just a quick shout-out to Rahu, uh, the Renters and Housing Union. They're turning one this weekend and celebrate they're having a party. So on Saturday the 22nd of May, um, you can join the Rahu Gala. So you can buy tickets to that um, on the Rahu website. It's going to be at Trades Hall. Come, do- come down and join us and have a party. And I think
4: just before we finish up, one last news headline. Um, it's just come through the AGES reporting that Biden is now supporting a ceasefire um, between the Israel-Hamas conflict, which is a major shift from his previous position.
3: So,
0: It's big news. Big news. Very exciting. Um, so if you've missed any of today's show, you can listen back on the podcast. So today we heard from Pride and Protest. Um, we played some audio from the Palestine rally on the weekend and we heard from Sally Goldner and Out of the Pan. And then if you've just tuned in, Evie also had a chat to Celeste Little, who is the new Greens candidate for Cooper. Thanks for joining us. Uh, listen uh, listening to Breakfast across the week. You're on 3CR. 3CR
2: Breakfast would like to thank the new international bookshop Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.